Welcome to this special podcast series from the National Institute for Health and Care Research about the future of research. You'll be hearing from five clinicians who are the current Thames Valley and South Midlands Clinical Research Network Fellows. We will be discussing the big research challenges facing healthcare. I'm Dr. Sanjay Ramakrishnan. I'm a research fellow in respiratory medicine at the University of Oxford. And over four episodes, I'll be asking my colleagues the tough questions. Are we getting trial participants who are representative of our diverse population? Is our research workforce ready for the future? Is it all going to be online? Join us to get answers to all these tough questions. In this podcast, we will talk about the future of research, a modern workforce. I'm joined by Laura, Mittal and Sophia. So to start with, could I just ask each one of you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I'm Laura Taylor. I'm a research optometrist. I work at Oxford Eye Hospital and I see patients with inherited retinal conditions who are on clinical trials. And my research work is centred on improving the vision tests we use in these ophthalmic clinical trials. Hi, my name is Dr. Mittal Shah. I am an ophthalmology registrar and I also work at the Oxford Eye Hospital. And over the last six years, I've been involved in the running and delivery of various clinical trials. My research focuses on the use of retinal imaging and artificial intelligence in ophthalmology. Hi, uh, my name is Sofia Cerdeira. I'm a clinical lecturer at the University of Oxford and a doctor at the John Radcliffe Hospital. I look after pregnant women and um, I have a, a particular interest in maternal medicine. I do research on preeclampsia, which is an hypertensive disorder of pregnancy. Great. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining today. I will just give you a bit of a background for our listeners. Clinical research trials generally have someone we call a principal investigator. They are the leader for that study at that local site, especially when there's a multi-center study. But it is relevant for single-center studies as well. And these are usually general practitioners or hospital specialists, and mainly just for tradition reasons. There's no legal or practical reason behind this. The question is, and the NIHR, the National Institute for Health and Care Research, are really keen to diversify this pool of principal investigators. And a, a case in point is, is you, Laura. You're, you're in the vanguard of this, of this challenge and facing this, this problem. You have a, a, a research program of your own and you are a principal investigator in an upcoming research for patient benefit uh, research project, which is a hugely prestigious affair. So thank you. What do you think about this problem? Are, are, are doctors like me, Mittal and Sophia holding it all back? Should we meet, just need more Loras in the world? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think there's room for everybody. Um, I think for my study that I'm working on, um, it's looking at different vision tests. And as an optometrist, we're generally the people we've trained in testing vision and testing eyes. And so it makes sense really for an optometrist to be leading a study looking at visual function tests. But for other studies, for example, a drug intervention study, you know, where there's a clinical care responsibility uh, to manage any side effects or anything like that, then I think it makes sense for to have a, a doctor, uh, you know, who's responsible for that. There's lots of aspects of clinical trials. So in terms of the paperwork and the coordinating, I don't think doctors need to, you know, they've got other things to do. They don't need to be burdened with all of that. But I do think you need a responsible person to go to, to kind of problem solve and troubleshoot different matters. 
um, the similar for you know other studies if you've got like a muscle or exercise rehabilitation study and you want to see which exercises are better for a certain condition you know it might be better to have a physiotherapist lead that project um, but I think there's space for everybody which are, I think we've only got we're on our last legs we're going to get pushed out soon what what do you think uh, about about this um do we need ophthalmo ophthalmologists? Uh, should we just let optometrists run the studies? I think I agree with what Laura said. Um, I don't think you need ophthalmologists necessarily to be principal investigator of every single study, uh, but I still think there is a role for ophthalmologists within clinical research um, related to sort of ophthalmic studies, particularly in sort of the example that Laura gave in trials, sort of interventional trials or treatment trials. If there is an intervention that needs to be given via um, a surgical into uh, by a surgery, sorry, or if there's a medical trial uh, with a new medical intervention, you, you probably will want and need uh, doctors, a principal investigator, um, not only to deliver the treatment but also monitoring for, for safety um, and for potential new or unforeseen side effects. Um, but I absolutely agree, I think there's a role for more um, involvement of allied healthcare professionals within clinical research studies. Um, so that they can um, take on new roles and responsibilities where maybe they're not taking them on at the moment. Great. So, Sophia, in getting pregnant women in is, um, is always a challenge for trials, um, and you do this every day. Should, how, how, how do you work with midwives, and would, would you want midwives to be principal investigators on your studies to help really turbocharge recruitment? What do you think? Yes. I mean, I think... I, I think this is a, a more in deep uh, problem and deeply rooted problem that is connected also to how the way we, we deliver the health the healthcare as well. I think that all healthcare professionals uh, need to be involved and should be involved in um, being agents of knowledge, agents of change and also uh, help in the research and it's possible you know some people may be only helping to recruit some people may be um, very well be able to to be pis and it's important to have people that can go out to the communities as midwives can and to be able to increase the the, the diversity and to be able to uh, talk to the patients where they are and be able to recruit more patients on, on that way. I don't see why only doctors should be involved with that. In fact, we do have a team of uh, research midwives that is um, uh, responsible and is doing a stellar job of keeping our uh, studies up and running. But now I think the next step would be to involve midwives in the communities and get them and, and start to uh, take the research out of the hospital into the communities. And this is also where other allied healthcare professionals can help in, the, in, in, in this. And I think that it's something quite important. I think it's the old mindset of in institutions, universities, academic hospitals, and that also needs to change. And with that, you know, I think we need to change policy, create flexible working and opportunities for other allied healthcare professionals? I, I think that um, the NIHR and the government you know, are seeing the potential of involving allied health professionals and other healthcare professionals and you know, what opportunities they can you know, bring to research. 
but there's a lot of barriers and something I've been looking at in my REIT fellowship has been trying to understand why other healthcare professionals aren't really involved in research. Why is it doctors that really need it and drive it forward? You know, from my experience in hospital and in practice in primary care, there isn't a research culture. Research doesn't, in opticians, you know, you don't really get research studies. And, you know, why, why is that? And um, there's, there's, there's loads of barriers. Time, um, you know, there's no, um, there's no uh, emphasis. It's, you know, there's, it's no benefit really to your career. You go to university to train to be a, an optician or a physio, you come out, you're an optician, you're a physio. And then, you know, the research doesn't really come into it. And I think if we're going to bring research in, then we need to change that. We need to bring research into training and make it part of the career um, progression and pathway that you have, that doctors have. Um, I think we need to understand more why doctors get involved in research and see what we can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think you hit the nail on the head on with, with that one. And I think it's also changing the mindset uh, at all levels, even um, policy making and funding, and I can see it changes. You say, and um, um, I can see that there's an, an increased number of funding opportunities and career development specific for uh, allied healthcare professions that are not doctors. And you need to start this from the beginning, from the moment that they go into the, their own training and see that there's a chance of their career progression for all for non-doctors, all allied care professionals. And you can see that in nursing. You can see that in, you know, you are a great example on how we can empower all the allied care professionals and um, make sure that they we can invest in their, our care force and, you know, make sure that they, we can progress. Yeah, great points from both of you. We know it costs less to, to hire um, and maybe will cost less in, to run trials with, with uh, PIs who are, who are not doctors, uh, pursue investigators who are not doctors. And we are going to encourage recruitment because both being in the community as well as having more time with the participants and the patients, we, we are, we're more likely to build that trust needed to recruit. Um, and training, uh, both of you brought this up and it's key and Happily, in, in, in the UK, we have the Clinical Research Network model, which actively seeks to train um, uh, allied health professionals, uh, nurses, physiotherapists, optometrists, and recently the, the addition of clinical research practitioners as an accredited uh, specialism of, of health workers. So what else can we do, Laura? What, what do you think needs to happen? To, to really motivate? Why, why did you do it? Why um, did you get into it? I got into research because I needed a change. You know, I needed something new. Uh, the day job being an optometrist can be quite repetitive. And I just, yeah, I was getting a bit fed up with that and I needed a new challenge. And literally living in Oxford, um, there's an active research unit in the eye hospital and an opportunity came up. But um, something I was reading recently uh, for allied health professionals was um, the development of a research strategy. And within that, they're looking at empowering allied health professionals and training and looking at how, how can they get them more involved. And there's talk about developing clinical academic pathways where you can still practice and you know, be involved in clinical practice, 
but also be involved in research as well. And I think that's what we need to see across the board. Um, you know, in optometry, you can go into research, but usually, you know, you, you leave practice and you go to one of the universities, you undertake a PhD, and then you have the choice to either return to practice or stay in academia. I think it's quite rare to have a situation where you're, you're kind of doing the two, and that's what a clinical academic sort of program would enable. So at the moment, we don't really have that in place, and I think that's what we need to, you know, work towards to make it more of a reality, to make it appealing for practitioners to get involved. I'd absolutely echo that as well. Um, what Laura just said, and I think. In medicine specifically, there is a clinical academic training pathway, um, sort of from when you leave medical school, in your foundation years, through your specialty training, up until the point where you, you finish your training and you get your certificate of completion of training. But even then, I think there's still room for improvement. Um, and for somebody who doesn't um, fit perfectly within that academic training pathway for various reasons, um, finding alternative streams of funding is, is really difficult. Um, and Without those alternative streams of funding, you're not going to be able to have the time um, to be able to dedicate to undertaking clinical research alongside your normal clinical activities. Um, and it's things like this CRN fellowship that we're all um, part of um, <clears throat> for the 2021-2022 year that gives us the opportunity to step away from clinical research outside of a formal um, academic tra training program um, to, to find out more and get involved more in, in clinical research. I think what's nice about the academic training programme is that uh, clinicians are given the salaried, allocated time for research activities. And I think that's something, if you're going to get other professionals involved, then there needs to be allocated time because it's really hard. It's impossible when you've got a busy clinic, you know, 20 patients waiting to see to be seen that day, to then fit in research into that. You know, it becomes, you have a few patients with problems and complications, and then the research side of things goes out the window. So it's, it, it, yeah. Yeah, and again, I would agree. I think trying to reduce the barriers um, of entry for anyone who's interested or, or would like to get more involved in research is really important. Um, like you said, if we want to take it seriously, you need to to actually be able to give people time away from it, from the, from their normal sort of clinical um, activities and, and requirements to be able to dedicate that time um, towards clinical research. Yeah, and what what I'm hearing and I agree is a whole system change, and it's not a shortcut. It should it's not just a cost saving that should be driving this. It should be a systems change and. Sophia recently pointed out this report to me, this uh, all-party parliamentary group uh, on global health from the UK parliament. Yeah, it's a fantastic report and I think uh, we should all read it. And when I say we is the all um, healthcare uh, professionals, it looks at how the future of health and the workforce should be. And it talks a lot about what we just say now and how important it is to invest in in the workforce and more flexible employment conditions make um, able to have research as part as a routine and for uh, healthcare professionals to be um, agents of um, knowledge and, and curators of, of change uh, curators of knowledge and agents of change and, and that is, is is quite important so it's 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 really nice to see that the 
that has been looked at. But this is just the beginning and uh, we all need to get together and behind this uh, initiative to make it happen. Because as you say, there's uh, many barriers, but I think, you know, it's time to change and, and we can do it. I was just going to say that I was reading recently about uh, clinical research practitioners, which is a, a new role that's um, kind of come about looking at growing the clinical research delivery workforce, where these are staff that aim to facilitate the, you know, the production and collection of data and work with patients to do that, but they're not actually involved in patient care. So these are sort of dedicated staff members solely for research. And to be honest, in my opinion, for research to happen in the NHS, I think you need, you know, these dedicated research people that um, that are there to support other people, to, you know, to make research happen. Yeah, we need more you again, Laura. So it's people like you who are moving forward the field, and I and I, I've said that a few times, but but we we heard about the barriers, and I, I agree there are challenges, and it's and it's an exciting time because. Everyone is getting on board, you know, the, the health bodies, the universities, the industry partners. And it's a really exciting time because everyone sees the potential. And as always, we can't not talk about the big COVID pandemic and how that changed it. One great example of success of this was the panoramic trial, which looked at using new antiviral therapies at home for patients who with early COVID-19 within the first few days of them getting sick. And incredibly, they recruited all almost 35,000 participants in, in, in a few months. And this is an intervention study. It is a new medication. So yes, it comes around with all the potential risks with that, with, with testing a new drug. But even then, they were able to empower allied health practitioners, nurses, physiotherapists, clinical research practitioners to, to support the participant throughout the process from initial contact to consent to, to delivery of the medications uh, to following up and all of this was done at home so there, there is great value in 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 uh, diversifying our 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 workforce who deliver research um, i always go back to this ipsos mori poll about trustworthiness um, nurses and physios and midwives tend to score higher on trustworthiness than doctors on average i mean that's not that's that's not be harsh on doctors overall we all score above 90 percent but nurses sit at 99 percent so it's very very uncommon for someone not to trust a nurse and at the end of the day all of us run trials we know the biggest challenge is recruitment if even 10 percent boost in, in trustworthiness will include improve our recruitment we should absolutely take it what do you what do you think on that so i think um yeah i would agree and i think all the help that we can get for recruiting participants on the ground um is a good thing um, and I think absolutely this is where allied health health professionals um, or, or non-medical professionals um, in terms of non-doctors um, would play a really valuable role. Um, doctors don't always necessarily get to spend as much time with, part, with potential participants, um, whereas nursing staff or physiotherapists or other allied healthcare professionals may well get to spend more time, have built a better relationship with them and rapport over time. Um, and be in a better position to to approach uh, potential participants about research studies. Um, so I think we definitely need to open up our what what at least what used to be um, sort of routine thinking that only certain people are able to to undertake certain activities as part of research studies, such as consenting and things like that. Um, and I think these changes that have been brought about 
uh, or and partly sort of expedited because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, hopefully we'll be here to stay. Um, and we'll see more changes coming through in studies that are both um, sponsored or set up from academic institutions, as well as um, studies that are set up um, from industry partners um, to help reduce barriers um, for, for those sites that are trying to deliver those research studies um, and, and making sure that they're successful in recruiting the right number of participants uh, in an appropriate time frame. I, uh, I'm not really sure about the trust thing, but I think perhaps sometimes patients are a bit more open and honest um, with perhaps nurses and other healthcare staff. You know, they when you see the doctor, they might just say what they think the doctor wants to know, or you said it's a very quick appointment and they they're trying to take everything in. Whereas if you like, you said you've got more time with someone to build up a rapport, um, you might you might get a, a bit more out of the patient in terms of the problems um, and, and things like that. I'm not sure. I don't know what the research is on that, but just from um, my experience in practice sometimes, I think patients want to tell me what they think I want to hear, and yet they, they'll tell the receptionist their whole life story of everything that's going on. <laughs> and maybe this is something we can, you know, sitting in, our, in the global north, we, we can learn something from our colleagues in the global south. Uh, Mital, you're into artificial intelligence and in, in, in Thailand, you've seen that great work looking at diabetic retinopathy screening and how they, they trained local care workers to take retinal images and send them all to either a, a reporting ophthalmologist in, in, in a bigger city in, in Bangkok or to a, to a computer to analyze and decide how high risk they are of diabetic retinopathy. And do you think we, are, we should take that on board? Why, why, what's holding us back? Why, why that's something that works in, in Thailand can't work in, in the United Kingdom? I think it's different healthcare settings uh, for starters, and I think we need to take that into consideration. Um, but I think the new technologies as they come along, um, and I think we just need to be open to exploring new ways of working. Uh, I mean, in the UK, we've got a fantastic um, diabetic screening service set up nationally. Um, and so people are routinely invited, those with diabetes, to have photographs taken at the back of the eye and there's a, there's a, a national setup for this to be done. Um, so as an example, that's, that's a system that's already set up, although the analysis of those images is with diabetic graders and that system has been there um, for a number of years. But certainly, I think looking at new ways that people are working, um, either both within the UK or even internationally, there's always things to learn um, and, and things to take on board. So before we wrap up, any final thoughts from, from anyone? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, going back to the, the question of are doctors holding research back? Um, probably my view, maybe a bit biased as a doctor, is in short, no. Um, I definitely think that there's there's role and there's a, there's a lot of scope actually to open things up to allied healthcare professionals um, and other sort of um, others who are who are not necessarily healthcare professionals like the clinical research practitioners that you mentioned before um, and I think if we can open things up um, and enable those who are otherwise qualified and competent to to take on other roles and responsibilities um, including being PIs of other research studies where appropriate. I think that'll absolutely make a huge difference um, to enabling uh, people within the UK to deliver more research, to recruit more patients, uh, and hopefully um, progress our learning. Yeah, for me, it's absolutely, I agree with uh, Mittal. And I think it's a, a, a systems problem. And I think now, you know, it's, it's time to properly invest in our healthcare force and create more flexible employment uh, conditions 
and progression opportunities, whatever that might be. That might be for a research pathway for someone. That might be for more other special interests within that area, but we need to be able to create those opportunities. I, we haven't really touched it, but I think we need also greater collaboration between the hospitals, between GPs, between universities, between primary care. Um, at the moment, we all seem to work in is it, silo, but we need to come together and support each other because we can't we can't do it on our own. You know, primary care has a huge access to a huge number of patients that you know universities don't always have, but we need the universities to support the the infrastructure and the you know the administration and the contract side of research. Um, and so we need to work out a way of bringing all that together. Yeah, I know that that's a crucial point. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from everyone is it's this is a challenge we want. This is a challenge we need. We we want to get more healthcare professionals interested and active in research. The umbrella is already a big umbrella. The research umbrella is huge, and we are open family and we want an even bigger family so thank you so much to all three of you for all your kind words and thoughts today and thank you to our listeners for joining in on this special series of podcasts looking at the future of health research don't miss our other episodes available through the series thank you again bye-bye thank you for listening to this special podcast series from the nihr if you are a member of the public interested in research please visit the Be Part of Research website to search for studies near you that you can take part in. For health workers who want to find out more, please visit the NIHR Your Path in Research website to get started. If you have specific research training and research career-related questions, please speak to your local friendly NIHR Clinical Research Network.